<laughs> All righty then. Um, hello and welcome to Cherisem uh, number 28. We're talking about lots of awesome, interesting things, including recent news and events. Uh, and uh, I would like to point your attention uh, for just a moment to patreon.com slash Cherry. Check out the tiers and the rewards that accompany them. I particularly recommend Challenger Mode for um, supporters of this podcast. Um, that tier and higher lets you in on the after show chat where we discuss some special extra articles and things that didn't make it into the show or were reserved specifically for our patrons. So check that out as well as it being video chat so you get to see us face to face. And uh, let's get into the meat of the show. So uh, we are on cherry stem number 28. Quantum physics, string theory, and multiverses, and also space, but I ran out of space <laughs> to, <laughs> to write that. So, um, Is it irony? I don't know. Isn't it ironic? I don't. Is it ironic? I don't know. We need Alanis in here to. Well, that's more set. Please tell us. <laughs> help us is it out. irony or not? We don't know. Help us out with this issue. Um, so, um, today I'd like to go over. My blog was not was not sharing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I don't know. So let's table that for next time. Um, <laughs> but all right. So um, today we have. Uh, a topic that sort of uh, is um, vaguely connected to uh, last month's uh, podcast on the informational <laughs> information-based theory of spirituality. Uh, so I'd like to, uh, if at all possible, in the second half of the show, touch upon some mathematics and uh, how that relates to our understanding of quantum physics, or rather how quantum physics, how it's all just connected with each other and allows for things like multiverses and um, fourth dimensions and many other dimensions, etc. So we're also kind of doing a little bit different format this time, right? And so I'm looking forward to uh, what you've got because apparently you're going to be you're going to be keying me in on some good new news and stuff. I'm looking forward to that for sure. And so yeah, that's uh, as opposed to the second half, as I mentioned, where we delve into deeper uh, things. The first half will go over some recent news. Uh, oh, on quantum physics, string theory, multiverses, and space. <laughs> I noticed I said new news, because there's old news, there's new news. Okay. That's, that's true, actually. Um, In science, it really is. No, yeah, because uh, you may have uh, some papers that are just now getting uh, widespread attention that are published, you know, for instance, a decade ago. Um, that, that's quite common, actually. Uh, I would agree. Uh, but yeah, no, we, we have a bit of a, a format change um, since we are in our officially over our second year of doing the podcast so uh, they're once a month and we're on a 28th episode Whoa! so that's like 28 over, days as september I that's over two years <laughs> over two years of doing cherry stem isn't that crazy um so this is uh, i guess cherry stem 3.0 um and uh we no, got now yeah, we have to like go to xp or something don't we and say at this point you have to go 3K XP. Or... uh i don't know you, you got to change your, your numbering system at a certain point Cherry stem 3000. Yep. Uh, so, That's the rules, isn't it? Yep. And uh, those who are visual uh, watchers, uh, et cetera, of this live stream uh, will be uh, at slight advantage because we'll be going over um, things in the, in the visual format um, that go along with our new um, content change or addition, I would say, because uh, we're still going to nerd out about, you know, uh, specific topics that, that we're, you know, got a soapbox about. Uh, but I do have some news that we're going to cover and um, articles I will be showing you guys 
uh, here um, on our video stream. So definitely subscribe to the channel and get to see goodness like this for yourself. But of course, if you prefer podcast version, you can check out patreon.com slash Cherry. Click on Cherry Stamp. It is publicly available. Every episode has been condensed to an audio version. You can download it. You can peruse the resources that went into putting it together and uh, overall have a good time and follow the page to keep up with the podcast there. And one of these days, the website will actually have episodes on it as well. But uh, until then, <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's go over some recent news in uh, let's, let's go backwards because, you know, that's all about uh, the fourth dimension and all the other dimensions. Uh, you hear things about uh, science saying it's the that, it's, dimension. that it's possible to travel to for it, things to happen uh, from effect to cause. So like see things happening right. in reverse. Retro and, causality. Right. All sorts of uh, timey, wimey, spacey, wacy things. So, exactly. <laughs> let's go over some recent uh, science news and let's start with space actually. Uh, we have, uh, well space and uh, multiverse, quantum physics, etc. So um, Scientific American recently launched their space and physics uh, magazine and uh, this note from the editor essentially uh, sums up uh, what I'd like to talk about. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, <laughs> uh, in, the moments in the moments after the Big Bang, Space-time expanded so rapidly that, in addition to our own many, maybe infinite, universes exploded into existence. He envisions them as bubbles. How cute. Uh, so goes the multiverse component of string theory. To be sure, the multiverses... To be sure, the multiverse is decidedly centered in the pop physics zeitgeist, capturing the minds of the public in books, comic, and film. Now, a view of string theory posits that the infinite number of universes predicted cannot accommodate the stable dark energy required in any universe. But this may not necessarily be a bad thing for string theory research. And you can read more in uh, that one specific article by, well, her. Um, for better or worse, ours may be a more singular universe after all. Elsewhere in this issue, scientists worry that human exploration of the solar system may outwittingly spread our pathogens to other worlds, possibly to the moon or Mars. See the article, Should the Moon Be Quarantined? Uh, and physics experiments in search of a fundamental particle of gravity, the graviton, are employing some new tools such as microscopic superconductors, free-falling crystals, and the cosmic background radiation C is Gravity Quantum article by um, one of their other authors. So uh, in... in if there's any uh, comments, comments that they uh, want to make <laughs> now, uh, or we could save it for later after I, I go through some other news. Oh, uh, this um, is yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, the 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 amount of faith required uh, is uh, it, it just comes down to uh, it, you know if people if people need to realize how much faith is required to to buy into some of these ideas, uh, and uh, if you're not capable of recognizing that level of faith that's required to buy into those things then uh, you already have a fundamental problem that I nor anyone else can help you with. <laughs> it's... Uh, and, and we'll definitely touch upon those, uh, those things when we go over uh, some of the other articles that are in that issue. Um, but let's, uh, let's start with space uh, in particular. So um, let's go back to our page here uh, where we have Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX uh, is aiming for the orbit, so they're doing yet another... Uh, Hellstar 18 Vintage launch, um, and that's if you guys uh, aren't aware. I know Elon Musk's been in, in the news a lot lately. Oh, here's a perfect point, uh, sure. time to point out that all the uh, uh, all the stuff that we do in space, all of the, the the landing, you know, perfectly on Mars and all of that stuff, 
not a drop of general relativity used in it. Uh, we, we I, everything is completely Newtonian, right down to you know basically we're like threading a needle from a billion miles away, and we're using Newtonian physics. Just you know, let's just put that out there. So okay, go ahead. And what's the relationship between um, Newtonian physics, relativity, therefore Einstein physics, and quantum physics? Ooh, that's a that's a fairly long subject. Um, well, but, just in, in, you know, in general, explain to me like I'm five, sort of very okay. basic. Okay. So. Um, Way. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, let's try to take that that question apart because I'm, I'm I started going off in a lot of different directions as soon as you started mentioning because it, it touches on a lot of different things. But uh, so uh, let's first talk about the uh, the difference between essentially you're Newtonian that, physics and... and uh, right, so okay, essentially so, what you just said is that uh, Einstein relativity physics are not at all ever used necessary at all thought of when going to space. Right. So, that's um, weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's something people will probably be incredulous about, but they can look up and find for themselves. Uh, and they'll find out that I'm right about that. Uh, but the, um, the, the difference really was at a certain point... Um, we recognize that the the precession of the perihelion of Mercury, which is basically there's aphelion and perihelion, has to do with how how, how close uh, the closest and furthest approach a planet has in its elliptical orbit. Mm -hmm. And according to Newtonian physics, Mercury's perihelion should, should process, which means it's not only an ellipse, but it's an ellipse that kind of swings around the sun. Does that make sense? Uh, so in other words, it, 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 in its orbit, it's going around and it's making an ellipse, but that ellipse doesn't stay in one place. That ellipse also actually shifts. It shifts around. That's the procession think of, of the perihelion. Being of one of those uh, carnival rides where you're like a little car and the whole ride is going in a circle, but your own little car is also spinning. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like that a little bit. Um, so it was happening at a different speed and basically what... Different speed than... Than predicted by uh, Newtonian physics. Oh, okay. So that one difference, that was like the calling card of general relativity, is that it, you know, it solved this one problem. So it essentially came up as something to do with space, in, in the sort of made its entrance. Right. Well, it was also, you know, he basically was attempting to. Einstein. Uh, yes, Einstein was attempting to um, extend special relativity, and so. So special came first. Yes, special was 1905, general was, was 1915. What was it special too? If it... Special means it's kind of a special case because oh. by the time the general relativity, Einstein had long ago abandoned the idea of the constancy of the speed of light because there's no such thing as a, uh, a, a, a somewhere that isn't affected by gravity. It was and a good that's kind of what's required. It was a good 15 years between. And, and, and nobody two, today right? actually for some reason remembers that constancy doesn't really apply anywhere in the universe. Um, so there's there's that's there, there's an in, there's interesting problems with when people kind of get information via telephone. It even ends up happening in academia. But um, well, so, if those fake peer review studies are any indication. Oh yeah, it definitely happens in academia. Definitely happens in academia. But I mean, you know, it's so a it, special case now. I think it, just because a system is imperfect doesn't mean it's completely garbage. True. But then again, you know, just because. <laughs> it seems like a really good system doesn't mean it isn't completely garbage um so anyway the um so that's where general relativity kind of got its its thing and then but here's the problem with that is that so that's the only thing it really gave us is an uh, is that he and he was shoot a lot of people think that 
it just fell out of the way that he was doing it. This, that's it. It's just, you know, he made general relativity from the greatness of his genius and poof, it matched up in, uh, with uh, perihelion and Mercury. That is a complete fabrication, an utter lie, and anybody even remotely versed in the history of the theory knows that he there's tons and tons of evidence that he was specifically shooting for the development uh, of a theory which would predict the perihelion of Mercury. So it was, uh, in, in, and anybody who was developing a gravitational theory uh, at that time would be insane if they didn't make sure that their theory aligned with this, uh, you know, this information. So, so anyway, that was its ability to predict it, of course, comes from the fact that he was m changing the numbers in a way to make sure that it would, would predict it. So that was the one advantage that it gave us. Then we, uh, then we looked out into the universe uh with uh our telescopes and we found that um using this this you know thing that has that that predicts better than newtonian um that we still have this gargantuan problem with the way that um galaxies rotate they rotate uh much faster than they should is it faster you know i might have confused whether it was faster <laughs> or slower but the rotation rates are entirely it's different, different. Than, um than, than what is predicted. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it failed massively. Uh, and, uh, and so the only thing it, it gave us was, um, was this the, the solving the perihelion, and in return now we have to insert dark matter. Or dark uh, energy. And, and, well, dark energy. Dark energy is for the expansion of the universe, and dark matter is for the, you know, the speed of the rotation of galaxies, etc. Oh, I didn't so, know that, yeah. that, that was what dark energy was for. Right. So, so but either way, it, we required, basically, to make his theory still not be crap, and to make it work, we had to inject... And now, whenever you say dark matter, people think it's just matter we can't see uh, because it's not luminescent, and that is not what it means. Dark matter is undetectable by any normal means. It is not normal. Like no baryonic. sight, no smell, no touch, no taste. Yeah, exactly. It is not. No register. It's not part of this world. It's magic fairy dust uh, in exactly the amount by which general uh, relativity is faulty when we by observation. So in other well, words, the observational falsification of general relativity is now fixed <laughs> fixed by mm. uh, presuming there is a bunch of fairy dust in the universe. So that's interesting because and wait, three times as much fairy dust as normal matter. Just keep that in mind. So the stuff that can't we can't detect, there's three times more of it than everything that we exists. Right. <laughs> so, but, so that's so. Uh, now, but on the other hand, in this in this letter from the editor, she she talks about the reason why string theory and that which is part of quantum mechanics, as I understand, uh, which is what is that even? So we'll we'll have to go over that real brief. Uh, but uh, it says here that the multiverse uh, idea that would generate infinite number of universes cannot actually exist. In, in, in the way it's predicted, because of the stable dark energy required in any universe. So what's that all about? Okay, so they're saying that the that the total distribution of dark energy between the universes, you know, basically that's that is so deeply meshed into the way in which string theory works that that I can't you know um, give any good explanation of it. It's a, uh, but what they're, but dark energy has to do with the, um, 
our observation that everything seems to be moving away from us. Right. So that's the that's faster that, and faster okay. the further it gets away from us. The further it is from us. So it kind of looks like we're in the center of the universe. Right. I was about to say. Right. Because absolutely everything is exactly redshifted by the amount that it is distant from us. The Which, further away from us it is, the more the more redshifted it is. And their their reason that it's not that it doesn't mean that we're the center of the universe is uh, is very hand wavy. Well, the, the redshift thing, that's just interesting. So that's something I, I haven't considered until learning um, more about physics is that light and color, uh, like rainbows and like the color of the sunset and things or color of the planets, etc., has to do with their motion and that their motion through space somehow alters color around them. What is that all about? Okay, so that's the that's Which just is the, the Doppler, Doppler effect. effect. But right. for, but so, why, how is light even related to any of that? Because well, and light is intrinsic to the theory of relativity. So so right. space. So, well, if, so it's yeah. Really so if light if light were constant, Doppler effect wouldn't even shouldn't even work. I mean, because okay, so there's when you understand how Doppler effect works with real you know waves, which are are um, <laughs> they're an effect happening to a medium. That's what a wave is. Uh, and it's only after 1905 that we started thinking of waves magically. Um, but and when, by magically, you mean without a medium. In other words, they, they just exist. They just do. By yeah. themselves. Right. And they can exist in different... A single wave front can be in different places based on, you know, whoever is observing it. Uh, and so there's that's like, a, so it's like, yeah, so the whole world becomes a uh, solipsistic. That's another thing. I've been uh, looking into quantum mechanics when you type it in. Some of the first videos on YouTube that come out have to do with uh, observer creating reality or consciousness creating reality. So that seems to be very much at heart of what you're saying. That yeah, that, not com only that comes it, in as well. That's right. because of that. Because of certain things with constancy, which, like I said, now that every problem, the relativity itself, the 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 we have to make sure that we point out here the mathematics of relativity refer to something that is very much real i do not doubt that the that certain parts of specifically time dilation uh the um uh length contraction those things are very real and i can explain in terms that have to do with uh, fluid mechanics have to do with very mechanical interactions that you can understand completely intuitively nothing you don't have to accept anything you can see the way the mechanics you can predict the way that the mechanics would unfold all of those things work in Lorentz's theory specifically because Lorentz uh, had constancy as completely just an illusion and later, and later on like I said it, just it, for more information on that uh, refer to our uh, last month's podcast where we right, did a yes. whole uh, explanation of, of, of that. Right. Okay. So, um, where should we continue forward from here? Uh, well, we can go back to the, um, the essentially the, the news, um, because we had the thing here of uh, Elon Musk and uh, the company launching lots of rockets. Essentially, the graph there is... I feel is, like we left something undone here, though. Uh, well, we're talking about the, the Newtonian physics and the Einstein physics and, uh, and the uh, Doppler Oh, yeah. Well, the one f yeah. final thing to point out, though, mm -hmm. however, is Newtonian physics also do not uh, appropriately predict the rotation rates of galaxies either. So there is, there is definitely something going on additional. So it was just, and it's that's just important something going to on out. is where they tried to plug the whole uh, leak with the, the dark matter and dark energy. Right. right. So there's definitely something going on that neither general relativity nor Newtonian physics 
uh, appropriately accounts for. Now, uh, I what would immediately say, it? of course, ether theory accounts for it, duh. But the, uh, <laughs> but we won't go there. Um, it's uh, that's a such a long conversation. It's we can do that a different time. Right. Oh, we actually we have done that a different time. So. Exactly. Um, so yeah, definitely refer to our other work um, on on more of that and. Uh, the Patreon um, links are in the low bar down below. Uh, you can definitely check it out uh, for the podcast resources and things that we will add after the audio file goes up for free publicly for everyone. And it's with the thanks to our patrons that make this podcast possible for free to everyone. So they're awesome. And you may uh, want to join them. Um, now back to uh, the space thing. Uh, that was just really interesting that you mentioned uh, we don't actually use uh, Einstein type relativity physics, which then my understanding is that led to quantum physics. It's all sort of built on. It did. On. A lot of people don't realize that uh, special relativity leads to uh, quantum mechanics because of how the fourth dimension uh, is treated. So on that, I do wonder if I can if I can do a thing uh, because, um, and we've got some more space news about Mars and SETI, but um, you did mention fourth dimension and, and I found maybe this video uh, would be interesting um, to watch uh, here real quick. While we can't really grasp the concept of nothingness, we can describe it with mathematics. Roll film, please. Good. And make sure that, yep. Yeah. That would be actually handy if you guys Well, let's try that again. While we can't really grasp the concept of nothingness, we can describe it with mathematics. Roll film, please. Okay, don't panic. This won't be complicated and I'll do it real quick. Can I get some background music? So there's this thing called set theory. And in set theory, everything inside a set is what exists. And if nothing exists in the set, then it is called an empty set. And that is basically a mathematical representation of nothingness or simply the number zero. It kind of represents nothing. I mean, the symbol zero is itself a thing, but it can also represent a lack of things. So you can see how we can describe nothingness with math, even though we can't imagine it. Same with infinity. Uh, we can't grasp it, but we can represent it mathematically and use it to solve equations. So at least mathematically, infinity totally exists. So why am I telling you all this? Because another one of the concepts that we have a lot of trouble grasping, even though mathematically it is not only describable, but actually well understood, is dimensions higher than the third dimension. So, you see the square? It has an x-axis and a y-axis. When it has height added to it, it becomes a three-dimensional cube. It basically grows a z-axis. Okay, that makes sense. A cube is a 3D version of a square. But here's some weirdness, my friends. Okay, listen carefully and just like, just like flow with me. So, you can grow another access to a 3D cube and get a four dimensional cube. Just, just like flow with me, flow with me.
can only perceive with our eyes and brains three dimensions, like this cube. So we can't really grasp this idea of a fourth dimension. It's like, huh? What the hell? Four dimensions? Which is what you're thinking now. But while we can't really see or perceive a fourth dimensional version of this cube, we can at least describe it mathematically. So just like this is a 2D representation of a 3D cube, here's a two-dimensional representation of a 4D cube. There's also a 5D cube, a 6D cube, a 100D cube, and so on. And not just cubes. All shapes have higher dimensional counterparts. Theoretically, there are endless dimensions. And while we can't see any of them, we can describe them using mathematics. Every time I update this operating system, So that was a thing. Um, <laughs> and I thought that might be, uh, since it was made for a YouTube audience, I thought, uh, you know, who may not be super versed in, the, in these topics, I thought that might be a good opener um, to, okay, to this, this world of math and, and such. Yeah, uh, when and it that comes you can to represent things. Okay, dimensions. So. And, and uh, of course, as, as um, real quick here, uh, as we saw with. Um, uh, this uh, issue of scientific American mind, the the whole thing is they're talking about the problem with multiverses, um, that uh, the impossibility of string theory, and that has to do with some very precise quantum mechanics, you know, yeah, dark okay, energy so let, thing. But, but there's math, dimensions, universes. What is up with all that? Can you describe something with math that is not real? And the answer to that, of course, is yes. Whenever you are, okay, you watch the movie Toy Story. It is very much like our, our, our reality, yet it is a reality that is described in math and then displayed on a television screen. What do you mean by described in math? In other words, all of the rotations, everything so about that be the... true for every video game too? Or? Absolutely. There's all of like this Overwatch? math underlying <laughs> it that, that makes it, they try to model it as close to reality as possible mm -hmm. and they get damn close now. They didn't used to, but either way, it can do things that cannot happen in reality. But, so it, is like a, but it is a consistent model that will always, right. when you do this, it will do that. There's not a, there's not somebody out there, you know, uh, whenever they're programming a ball bouncing, for instance, so say your character in a game can bounce a ball. There's not somebody who has written line by line absolutely where every little part of the of the ball will bounce for that one place what they have done is defined the way that things interact with each other in math and those are all these calculations matrix transformations uh, that occur uh, in response to the things that you do in this other reality but the point here that is extremely important to understand is math can describe things that have not a fucking thing to do with reality uh, so when we talk about additional dimensions there are other there are ways we use math that are just to store information and associate it so it's associations between information that uh, we're storing. There's also th th things called arrays, and uh, and that is basically in programming, for instance, what you're doing when you have a multi-dimensional array is you're just storing information and having it associated with other information. So if I want a box of boxes and I want a box of box of boxes <laughs> you know then then uh and it's basically like she was saying sets if i want a set of set of set of set of set of set of sets 
then uh, then I can talk about something for you to drill down into to find information going through each one of these different dimensions but they are just a way of associating data it does not have any impact on reality simply because it can be represented mathematically so it it'd be fair to say that they exist only mathematically absolutely as tools it's it is a tool now i mean of course people are going to argue that it is but let's go back to one of our first times that we ever decided that reality had more than three dimensions now dimensions right, are a way to describe was reality that supposed to be time oh, yes the fourth dimension was first used by lorenz when he was describing the way so okay so lorenz was attempting to describe what the hell was happening with the Michelson Morley experiment. Right. Now, before him, it was actually first described by um, Larmor, but then Lorentz wanted to take it and make it more generally applicable, where you could use it as a formula to put in any situation, and you'd come out with the right results. And what Lorentz's formula does is it accounts for your clock being screwed up, okay? And I say screwed up because there is uh, this is this is what you have to understand about the classical view of a fourth dimension, which is a way of storing your screwed up perception of time versus uh, Minkowski's version of a fourth dimension that what that actually came after Lorentz. I mean, after Einstein in 1907, that's when we had space and time conjoined into one thing, which is basically making reality four-dimensional instead of keeping up with realities with, with reality with a four-dimensional structure and keeping up with people's faulty ideas versus making it where and here's the thing so if you've got a 3d reality if you add a fourth dimension just like she was showing that it's like okay basically if you have 2d by adding another dimension that means you can have infinite sheets of paper if we think of a, a 2d thing as a sheet of paper being 3D means you can have any number, n number of 2D sheets, and that is 3D. So the same thing in with 4D is that you can have n number, any number of 3D universes. And the way that uh, that Einstein and then Minkowski specifically is yeah, doing it is that. <laughs> Well, this is it's actually where space-time came from. It didn't come directly from Einstein's 1905. And Einstein even talked about, he said, now that the math, math, mathematicians have gotten a hold of the theory of relativity, I don't recognize it myself. He specifically said this about Minkowski's uh, space-time concept from 1907, which was a couple of years well, after. Well, what about the space-time concept, uh, or rather the, the, the famous sci-fi concept that essentially seems to be uh, requiring space-time is that uh, wormholes come from space-time, right? Because time is folded, and right. also time travel, right? Isn't that right. all? That all comes that from that, from? Uh, that, co that comes from the concept of making reality 4D instead of, of our description of it. We've never 4D. seen so wormholes or have time travel. So let Just... me go back to let me go back to the history. How did we get here? How did we come up with this idea that reality has this additional sh shit to it? Right. Uh, the way we got here is because of Lamar and Lorentz trying to model what is occurring to somebody traveling through ether.
Okay, and that is what they were doing, and that and and Einstein imported Lorentz's work directly without altering it. Well, wasn't it used to also be called Einstein Lorentz? Yes, it used Either to be called uh, uh, or Lorentz Einstein uh, uh, relativity. Right. Either way, it was uh, Lorentz's work that was one part of it that Einstein calls the kinematical part, and then he talks about his part, which is the electrodynamical part, okay. and so that's what Einstein actually did. Is he took Lorentz's kinematics, which means the way shit moves, okay. uh, and added the electrodynamics, which means how electromagnetism works inside that model well, motion. of motion. Okay. okay, so that is what special relativity uh, is. Is the is, and that is what Einstein was and doing. That was the so, first but thing he, he ever was did. accepting. Yes, that was the, That's the one. The first paper, 1905, on the electrodynamics of moving bodies, okay. and so. But before that. Uh, he took the work directly from Lorentz on kinematics and imported it, and then he was using that as a basis. Right. But what Lorentz's kinematics were was right. a description of how ether would impact an experiment traveling through ether. Okay. okay, that is what he was describing because that was why they come up with a solution to the Michelson-Morley experiment. So then, why isn't uh, special relativity used for space travel? Is it what well, you mean, general or... relativity? Uh, and your be relativity. Because it's uh, it's because it's such a tiny, tiny, tiny um, difference that it's uh, that it's it's not within experimental errors. In other words, the error of your uh, of your instruments and all of those sorts of things that you have to account for and you have to kind of loosely be do all these corrections for and constantly be correcting and rereading and taking averages and you know and using probability all of those things right. those are larger than the effect that it would have on your um, you know navigation okay. so um, so that's the main reason why we don't need to use it because the, we we just Theoretically, at this point, if you wanted to support relativity, you would say, well, it's just because our instrumentation is not fine enough. And uh, and if our inf instrumentation was perfect, uh, then we would still have to account for it. Uh, so that is that, that side of it. But okay. let's go back to, you know, why do we have this idea of tons of dimensions? And right. why, is re why did we decide reality is completely different than makes any sense? Where did that idea come from? And it came specifically from this translation from one person's theory to the other, from Lorentz to Einstein, and then specifically because of Minkowski's right. translation of, of Einstein's time. translation of Lorentz's kinematics. So it's a, it's which playing were, telephone. Which also uh, worked in response to Michelson Morley. That wasn't quite right. Well, the way it, it seemed. Exactly. So, so here's the thing. So what happens and to, to put it really short, let's, let's shorten this up some. Sure. What happens in Lorentz's theory is that when particles are attempting to interact with each other, they have to do it with uh, electromagnetism. So therefore, if two things are moving through the medium that electromagnetism propagates in, then when, when one sends a signal to the other, it either has to chase it upstream and has to you know try to get through that upstream which takes longer or it's flying back downstream with the additional you know tailwind giving it uh, additional speed and the thing is you have to think of interaction as both the up and the down in other words both upstream and downstream and so the average of those things i'm going to call it an average but it's not really an average um, the, the way that that, when you consider both the up and the down, that is what Lorentz ended up modeling, but he had to model it 
from a perspective. Yes, that's what the change factor is. He had to model that from a perspective of not just going upstream and downstream, but also if you went across the stream, there's a weird effect there too. And so you had to make all of these things line up, but what it's gonna do overall is there's not, whenever you, whenever, like, whenever I first started encountering this idea of upstream and downstream, I thought to myself, well, that probably just cancels out. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't cancel out. If you go both upstream and downstream, that additional speed you get going downstream does not make up for the headwind that you have to overcome going upstream. And so the overall result is it takes longer for your total traversal of the same space than if you didn't have that upstream downstream effect. What, is this, what does all this mean? Why do I care? Because that means that any experiment or any event which requires light to travel, if you mm -hmm. have the medium flowing across it, it's going to take longer for it to go upstream and downstream. Because it's a wave. Right. So therefore, all interactions of particles, meaning everything from the bending of the of the metal in the in the gears of a clock to the whatever's going on in your brain, are all going to get slowed down by this interaction of having to go upstream and downstream. This additional path distance that it has to go through the ether. Okay. That is what Lorentz was modeling, and so therefore he said, okay, well, obviously your clock is going to be screwed up. And if you're going, if I'm going to keep up with how all this stuff works, I need to have a fourth dimension to keep up with people's faulty ideas of clocks and the actual what's real, what's what's the real time, and and then unfortunately now in this theory, I don't know where the stationary ether is. I just know that that somebody's traveling faster with respect to the ether than another. Mm -hmm. And so there's actually this inverted calculation that is that nobody talks about. In other words, okay, so let me let me I'll I'll, I'll head on I'll, I'll touch on one more topic that's important that that separates Lorentz's version from Einstein's because of this 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 hidden calculation, this additional information that isn't available in Einstein's version of the kinematics, and that is when we think about the twins paradox. We say okay, as a twin goes away and comes back. Uh, theoretically, he should have aged slower, and when he comes back, he should be younger than his twin that stayed on Earth. And everybody says, you know, with the paradox, well, how do we know which one stayed, which one went? There's all this argumentation right. about a bunch of crap that doesn't really matter right now. Um, but in Lorenz's version of it, uh, versus the one that we're taught today, the one we're taught today, each person sees the other as aging slower and then somehow via some you know a mental acrobatics we come to some decision about which one actually did age more than the other and but always well, the other pick one. but the other is always aging fast each of you say i'm faster than you and you're both correct of course that's a paradox but right. according to relativity the paradox is always correct that's according to our interpretation of it. However, Lorenz's idea, in Lorenz's idea, of which you, you still would have this aging effect, one of them sees the other as slower while the other sees the, sees the twin as faster. So one twin is looking back and saying, you're aging slower, and one twin is looking at his twin and saying, you're aging faster, okay. which makes sense. Right. That, is, that is the basis, and now it's the same math, exact same math, okay? Huh. But it's just the interpretation that we have been taught today that um, that makes it where we've got all this weirdness we're supposed to accept. And then we make up for all the weirdness 
by deciding that instead of the fourth dimension being faulty clocks, it's additional realities. Right. There's infinite additional realities present in a single moment, and they can be in conflict with each other. Well, that is what is, the, in other words, there is a, there, it is based upon your perspective. In other words, the idea, okay, so all of these additional versions of reality that exist in one moment because of a fourth dimension in, in the way that we use a fourth dimension now mm -hmm. because of Minkowski, uh, as opposed to the way that Lorentz was using it, which is right. completely different. Uh, same math, completely different interpretation of what it means. Uh, then the, then what that allows is because you have all these multiple realities that are real and not just faulty perspectives, then all of those versions of reality can also become incongruent in where objects are located in each one of those versions of reality. Well, are they versions of reality or are they dimensions? So like what's, what's it is It is an addition, additional, okay, so one additional dimension. Remember I said once you go from sheets that are the two dimensions, I can add additional sheets and that's a third dimension that allows me to have as many additional sheets as I want. So a sheet of paper is two dimensional. Let's think of it. It's not really two dimensional, but for this discussion, we're going to say it's uh, a sheet is like a two dimensional um, figure. So then if I add a third dimension, well, let me start over. So let's start at a first dimension. You can have a, a, a have a point, but then I can have additional points and I can refer to any one of those points along a line and that gives me one dimension. Right. Now two dimensions allows me to have as many of those lines as I want because I can go Stacked up on top of each other to right. form a square. Right, and, and then, oh, but it's an infinitely large square. Right. I can have as many of them. I can go as far as I, wa I want along the x-axis, and I can go as far as I want along the y-axis. And now once I add another dimension, now I can go right. as far as I want along the z-axis. And it still stays three-dimensional. But it's three-dimensional. Right. So, so by adding a fourth dimension, you can go as far as you want along the t-dimension. But the thing is, that makes, that, a, that makes sense to us all right off the bat, right? right. Time, oh yeah, time goes forward, but, but no. That's as far as you want along the T dimension for one single moment of time. In other words, there is there then each each then there's each progressive moment after that, which is also four dimensional. So it's infinity. Right. So there are infinite three D three D realities for each moment that and then each moment progresses and that one is also four dimensional, it's meaning there are infinite three D realities within that one moment. So this is it's it's part of what was called the um, uh, the relativity of simultaneity, and that means that events that are simultaneous for one person are not simultaneous for another because basically their three D universe is different from well, one person's three D universe is not the same as the other person's three D universe. All of these things come from interpretation. Okay, this is not, there is not a mathematical reason to do this. There is an interpretational reason to have additional realities. Okay, it's, it's the same math that, that Lorentz was, was using, yet we have interpreted it different, differently because of first Einstein said, well, you don't really need to think about the, about, about the ether because it's not really valuable. And then Minkowski said, well, here, here's a convention that makes the idea of constancy uh, an absolute fact of reality. And for constancy, the constancy of light, which I right. said before, Einstein abandoned and talked about it numerous times over and over and over that it is no longer a valid concept, is what Minkowski then created. Uh, he, he codified it into a where he made reality capable 
of handling constancy because you cannot handle the idea of constancy without breaking reality into a billions of pieces which can be incongruent with each other and having the relativity of simultaneity. So the necessity of having additional dimensions entirely comes from Minkowski's interpretation of Einstein's interpretation of Lorentz's <laughs> work. Well then, it is like a game of telephone. Yes. And so, uh, of course, as I said earlier, we haven't discovered any wormholes or traveled through time, so it doesn't seem like Minkowski's theories are all that yeah. useful well, for so, space so travel. So why is it that we think that we can bend time and bend reality and all that stuff? Because when you think about it, it's like, okay, if you think about a 2D reality, uh, which is just flat, then the way I can make one part of a 2D reality fit with another part is I can take it, let's pretend it's a sheet of paper, I can just roll it up on itself, yeah. right? Embed it. Right, and so therefore, anytime you embed a, uh, one dimension with a higher dimension, you, you can have uh, one set of information that is associated in a certain way be transformed into another set of, uh, of associations within that higher dimensional structure so basically what a four-dimensional structure is is it's a way of associating data and you can have you can change those associations such that a 3d reality can cut through the 4d the the, the additional all those realities you can cut through them in a weird way so in other words you're taking a slice Okay, so remember how I said that you can have infinite 3D realities? Well, each one of them is just a slightly different. If I cut through and take a piece as I'm like traveling out from a specific point, and I take uh, this, this 3D uh, version from 4D reality, and then I go to the next 4D reality before looking at what it looks like and take that and put that into my 3D version that I'm building, and then I go to a yet another a 4D reality and, and take that version's 3D configuration and put that together, I can basically select from a bunch of different versions of reality, of 3D reality, to create one 3D reality. And that's what we do when we're talking about, um, whenever we're looking at a 3D reality, is it's a selection that cuts across and takes pieces of all of these other different versions of a 3D moment and then assembles them as one 3D moment. And so it's a it's a slice of it. But but the point is that for it to be a slice of it, all of the other ones have to exist, especially if you can take any slice you like, which is what is implied by Minkowski space time and our interpretation. So it's all based on interpretation that we can go and select pieces of these other different versions of 3D reality that exist in every moment. And so that that's where all of this shit comes well, from. How would you do it? That's mathematically. Or? No, that's, yeah, I mean, they don't realize exactly what they're doing because uh, mathematics is abstracted. It's just like when you're doing programming. I don't, I don't know how to access hardware directly. I've never fucking done it, but I have accessed hardware directly billions of times in my programs because I know how to use the tools. Right. And so I don't know exactly the, the, what the tools are doing. I know how to use the tools, and that's what mathematicians do all the time is they use tools. And the same thing is true of phys uh, physicists. They use tools that are built on tools that are built on tools and it's something you have to do you have to basically believe in the tool without understanding it to go to the next level of building shit if i didn't if i spent all my time figuring out exactly how electronics work and how all of those things i would have never been able to do any programming i had to just accept that that everybody else was doing their job and i relied on them and that's how i was able to 
move forward and make program. So it's a necessity of building complex things that you have faith in those who came before you. So therefore the people who use these ideas are not culpable as much as right. they are, they seem to be. In other words, it's not their fault that they come up and just use what is it, the accepted ideas. And, and the thing is, because it's based on something that is real, right. but we have this magical idea about it, it still tends to work and keep us in this view of, of reality that is magical when there is something real going on. And the best example of that is the fact that there is a tribe in Papua New Guinea, okay. I tell this story so often, where they beat the, 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 the root they, and beat and sing to the root of the fishing tree into the water. And in response, the spirit of the fishing tree brings them fish. This really happens over and over. They contest it. Other individuals have been given the the, the magical right of fishing to pray to the fishing tree and they, they get fish in return. So it's a, a semi-scientific method by which they get results. Right. And so, so, but the thing about it is it's a neurotoxin in the root. It has nothing to do with the freaking singing and there's no spirit unless you want to abstractly right. think of the neurotoxin as a spirit. But the truth of the matter is the ability for them to have success with a lesser model of reality makes them believe that their version of reality is absolutely irrefutable. But it, it's their interpretation that is all fucked up. Right. So that is what's going on in physics today is that we can use the information that does actually really refer to something that is real and because the mathematics uh, are, are, are referring to something really happening, and then because our interpretations are wrong whenever we want to extend our theory, just like a person who believes in the spirit of the root will try to fucking, you know, get more deer because they think that, well, you know, maybe it'll bring me food. That, that's not going to help them, though. They're not going to be able to extend their theory. It's not extensible anymore because their belief set doesn't really match reality. And the same thing, of course, is happening in physics because our, our fundamental beliefs about reality are magical. So uh, wouldn't you say that it would be a good time to quote Schrodinger who said that there's a difference between... A shaky or out-of-focus uh, lens uh, and, uh, and pictures of fog banks. Yes, that's what he was saying about the... Uh, the a cat experiment, and the funny thing is, I just recently read something where they quoted him as saying there's that there's no uh, there's no real contradiction in the fact that uh, that the cat is both dead and alive. And what he means by this is not that there's no contradiction in the cat being both dead and alive. What he meant by it was to say that the that when we're using probability. And that they and we're examining all these possibilities since we don't have the actual information available to us there's no, no no problem with our mathematics representing both possibilities simultaneously because that's the best information we have that there's a it's probable to be this or probable to be to be that and both of those have to be represented in the math but they're not there in reality and that's what he was saying and they, that's what they missed is that he was saying yes but they're not there in reality it is acceptable and there's no contradiction in our and in our tools because and in the usefulness there, right? it's still useful it's still valid in the fact that it is useful but it is not it is not a contradiction of the math the math can still deal with this apparent contradiction but reality of course is different from math math can represent false things it can re represent things that don't actually exist so, so that okay. seemed to be a common theme with, with Schrodinger because it wasn't the idea of the cat uh, yes it's like always cited out. as like some sort of uh, a proof that that reality is is uh, crazy and weird and, and in fact he was mocking the idea that reality is crazy and weird he was specifically trying to point out to people you're crazy no there's a difference between our our tools 
and what it represents. And what it represents is, is something so complex that we absolutely have to use probability to, to deal with it because it's too complex to deal with any other way. And so our tools are always gonna have this ambiguity in them that we cannot get past. We can't get past this ambiguity in the tool. But, but the tool represents and has all these alternate possibilities. The alternate possibilities don't actually exist. They're just part of the tools of uh, attempt to- Yeah, exactly. To attempt to deal with all the possibilities and give us the one that is best going to fit what's really happening in reality. So yeah, on that note, um, what is the difference between dimensions and multiverses though? Because we're here we're talking about okay. infinite multiverses, infinite dimensions, what's, what's up that all about? Okay, so they've made a, a, a distinction between dimensions and multiverses, right. and that is, so the first idea of multiple realities uh, now, a lot of people are going to say the way that I'm describing time, that's just not right. But if you look into block universe and things of that nature, it is what is consequential. And they'll talk about, well, there's time-like and then there's space-like. And what? time is this, it's, it's kind of a dimension that's got space-like properties. It's hand-wavy as shit is what it is. Uh, and when you tr try to track them down, they just, you, you end up finding out that all they have is hand-waving. Um, so the difference, however, between multiverses and dimensions is that since we now believe that reality has all these dimensions, right. which will pretend are not additional realities, but just aspects of, of this one reality, right. well, then, in it, then since we're using that to describe uh, things that we see within our one world, we then need to posit that there are additional worlds that are that have that many dimensions that are also so so in other <laughs> so in other words our one reality which has all these which are basically the ability to represent reality in, in, in all of these different ways simultaneously you take that as a set as a group and multiply that times infinity and then then you have the many worlds what now <laughs> So in other words, so it's sets of sets. So it's basically multiverse then allows an additional set of sets. Just makes me think of a snowflake. It kind just keeps of. growing. Yes, as they keep the having. And what happens is anytime you have a conflict, any kind of conflict that you have in your mathematics, you can solve by adding a dimension or adding a universe. And therefore you can re represent com com conflicting things and conflicting realities. Anytime you have a conflict, all you have to do is add another dimension. And that's why you can have 23 different dimensions. And, and you can have, because you just reassociate the information in any way you like. And you can keep, and all you gotta do is add another dimension every time you have a, a problem. And eventually, if you add enough dimensions, you'll, you'll overcome your problems and, and, and the model will work as you twist it in knots throughout the, the you know, <laughs> through, the, through these methods that don't represent anything in reality. But the thing is, there are some crossovers with reality. So, right. so one of the ways that we use multi-dimensional tools to represent reality is in fluid dynamics. So whenever right, why is that necessary? Why do we need the Because when you're trying to look at uh, okay, so so you've got when you when you picture a fluid and you think let's 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 say that every point in it has equally mixed, you know, little dots and you can see them all as this little grid. Well at any moment you can twist that grid, okay, and have this this twist that happens with fluids where they, it's like a, a rotation inside it. 
And now, like a whirlpool. right. And now let's freeze it with this slight twist to it. And now we still want to look at it in our three dimensions that have an X and Y and Z axis in our, you know, basic idea of reality. Right. But then we also want to look at our, you know, regular untwisted perspective from the twisted perspective. And we want to be able to compare them. Right. Okay. So the twisted perspective still has it's been transformed in a certain way. It has this this twist to it that can look at reality kind of through a twisted lens. Well, yeah, because it's been twisted, it's no longer the same as it was before, therefore it's a different dimension of the same reality. Right, so therefore you can okay. use additional dimensions to represent these things that are t twists and rotations and things like that. And that is it, that is extremely important for trying to deal with these things that uh that over time keep changing and you want to be able to keep up with the way that it changes with respect to a normal you know version of reality that we see around us and the reality that is twisting in various ways because of the their own relationships which is not it's not a reality it's a set of uh, the pieces of a fluid that were once in the same configuration as our 3d coordinate system but now it has created its own its version of that version of 3d coordinates has been twisted but it still kind of exists so the best way to represent that is that there are these um uh it's what david bohm um frequently talked about i didn't realize that i actually gotten it from bohm i probably did just you know like a, a dozen years ago and forgot yeah. uh but there is the there is this experiment where you take the um where you take two cylinders and you have a, uh, a, a uh, glycerin in between them and you put dots of, of insoluble ink in it and then you twist it and those dots become mixed, okay? But the thing is, all you have to do is untwist it and the dots become unmixed. They're dots again. And what's interesting about this is I can twist it, put a dot in, twist it, put a dot in, twist it, put a dot in, and twist it some more and the whole thing will look all mixed but then if i unwind it the dot will appear the uh, uh repeatedly you'll see each one of those dots appear so each one of them have a twisted perspective to the others but their perspective their version still exists so you need multi-dimensional mathematics to, to be able reality. to deal with keeping up with all of that shit okay but it doesn't mean that reality that there's additional 3d realities around us it just means that we need this tool to represent these various perspectives on the same 3d well, reality really, it really is through time so i don't see why fourth dimension just well i guess space time because there's two different ways in which you can see it as in other words if we use time the way that lorenz was doing it there's a faulty screwed up perspective and then there is the real perspective and well, time continues forward period and our measure of time is just dependent on how our our relationship with that which determines time which is change so in other words as things things are going to change faster um in in a with with any kind of material that is still with wherever the ether happens to be still but if the ether happens to be a crazy bunch of vortexes and stuff going all over the place then that that by itself becomes you can't just you can't put a little paddle wheel in the water of the ocean and expect to navigate to the other uh you know <laughs> to, to to any far shore across the ocean because right. it has all of its currents and eddies and all of these things happening and the same thing would be true of you know trying to keep up with time 
in when looking at the ether is that you can't you can't treat the ether as a grid if it if it happens to also be moving around etc and so that was you know but so Lorentz of course knew that you can't just say there is this one version of time but you have to instead say okay well if changes are mediated by properties of a medium that you know determines how fast um electromagnetic interactions occur then that medium is going to be different from place to place so being still with the medium would be that that would be the fastest you know that things would occur right. but it, you know how are you going to know where you are in that medium if it's all over the freaking place and so all you can really do is speak about the, per, the the perspective shift between different observers and know that some are going to be slowed according to others but then also if they're some are slowed according according to others then some are also sped up according to others so there is the same thing but one perspective is more correct than the other there is not both both perspectives of my time is faster no your time is faster so that would or, be the no, difference between lorenz and the einstein absolutely same math more information available there's more information available that that is discarded when you get rid of the ether and start believing waves are magic and can exist on their own then you discard a huge swath of information that is available uh, through ether theory yet you still have the same math you're still using the same math so it's still representing some of the same things that was represented by Lorentz's ether theory uh -huh. Lorentz and Poincaré specifically or Poincaré he's the one who did right. the electromagnetism part of uh, of Lorentz's um, kinematics better. So, so um, he, yeah, he was Lorentz a better did. Einstein. And he did it better than Einstein. He was actually the first to come up with E equals MC squared as well. Um, right. But the point is that it's a, um, that time is, it is just a measure of change instead of some sort of additional realities. Right. It is just your, and so your time can be a little screwed up because you're not perfectly stationary with the ether that's flailing all over the place mm -hmm. um, and so there so you can you will have time differences and basically the average if you're moving through even if even if there are various currents on the ocean we can still talk about the number of knots or whatever right. that you know uh, that a boat is going through the the ocean we still can you, there's there's general average speeds that are useful because we got these you know these right fixed locations called the continents and so there's still we can still use that even though the speed in the water may be different from one one or the other we end up coming up with these averages that tell us and so they're the same thing would be true of navigating through space there would be kind of an average difference in your aging that would occur because of the additional distance light or interaction would have to travel because of the flow of things the flow of ether across your particles or whatever so all of these things, this is a rational, you know, you have a rational deterministic method by which all of these things occur. And the same thing is true of, uh, of quantum mechanics as well, because then this, this transfers to, and I've got a great, oh, we should definitely put in the low bar this yeah. recent, um, I recently found a great um, of interview of David Bohm. And where he describes things in almost exactly the same way that I describe things. I don't know, I don't think I've ever seen this before, but he describes basically the idea of particles as vortices oh, nice. and uh and and so bohmian mechanics it, it really only shines when you start to understand a fluid mechanical version of space which so you have to back all the way up to lorentz before you start exploring bohm 
uh, David Bohm, which is the De Broglie Bohm or pilot wave theory, and that is still deterministic. And we, we basically all of the magical ideas in um, in, in current physics can be thrown away for deterministic chaos, which is basically it's so complex we can't use mathematical tools to represent it properly because we don't ha we could never have all the information about every particle in the universe at any given time, which is required for you to be able to predict things properly. Uh, that's deterministic chaos. So it's determinate, but it's so chaotic we can't deal with it except through, through probability. And then we, it, we would use that as a way of, uh, we would understand that there's stuff going on kind of under the surface that we can't get at as easily, but that will allow us to change our perspective. Now, it's this, once again, the mathematics don't change. It's a perspective that allows you to extend your theory that we're talking about here. Interpretation is what we're talking about, and interpretation changes the way that you extend your theories. And so that is the, the point that we're at. That's part of the reason why Bohmian mechanics have started to come to the fore again, is pilot wave theory and the Coudé oil drop, you know, Walker experiments. And it's only when we combine the fluid mechanical uh, aspects from Lorentz and Poincaré, Poincaré, whatever, uh, and with the Bohmian perspective that we end up getting a version of reality that has no magic in it whatsoever. And, uh, but we do have these complex effects that are so, they're so complex that, uh, that they're very difficult to deal with and can look magical without the perspective that these things give us. But they, they are eventually understandable through, specifically through holography, uh, understanding the way that holograms work, um, which is uh, that we've talked about before, and through understanding chaotic determinism and how that works. And once you add those things in, all of this magical stuff starts to make a little bit of sense. And then there's, there's some changes to, you have to understand the, how uh, Kelvin's uh, version of, of uh, it goes back to my, uh, my, my history paper, which goes all the way back to McCullough, then through Kelvin, and then through all of these people who were developing uh, physics before, before today. And then all of those, those mathematical tools are still available and being used, but they were developed to deal with ether. And now they're kind of reconverging into what I'm calling the neoclassical revolution. Of course, uh, all the resources will be available on Patreon, Anna Cherry, uh, patreon.com slash Anna Cherry, where our Cherry Stamp podcast is hosted, uh, the audio files that you can download or put an RSS feed uh, into your player uh, and check out all the resources. They will definitely be there, including your papers. And uh, you can uh, check out your Patreon as well. That's in the low bar. And support uh, more things uh, to do with neoclassical physics. But um, anyway, so the magical thing you, you were saying here, uh, the, that keyword is you're using it specifically to, to mean, you know, what exactly? Okay, anytime there's, there's a, like for instance, one of the things that Einstein was right about is that it's ridiculous to have spooky action at a distance. Anytime that you start believing or things like the idea of probability at the basis of reality, what exactly is probability? Whenever you start getting into, like as a programmer, I, I remember, um, you know, trying to get at random. It's like, well, well how, do you, how do you determine random. If you, you're trying to create a random number, right. how do you do that programmatically? And when you start really examining it, you, you first have this kind of illusion of knowledge about the concept of random. It's like, oh, it's just random. But then you're like, well, wait a minute, where do you get random from? And when you, you end up programming. Right. When you have to actually do something with it real, then you start to understand that random is, is a concept. It's, and there's no real there's way. There's a mathematical formula 
underlying it that is essentially deterministic. Yeah, absolutely. In other words, like the way that we do it in uh, in programming is we have we we use the the rand function, which goes and pulls the uh, the your your clock time, and uh, and so basically, if you had some way to um, to lock your clock on your computer, you could really fuck with programs. Huh. And anyway, they have any kind of random number generators on them. But uh, so it takes the the, the uh, clock usually. So I, I guess some people have, have started to use other seeds for the uh, for rand. It was just it was a it was a convention for a long time to use whatever the clock is. Clock there being the date and time, and you use this as a number that that goes into algorithm, takes that number and just chugs through a bunch of weird calculations that eventually give you a number between you know the the range that you put in but what it's doing is completely deterministic even though the output looks kind of random um because the input is right it's just complex is all it's it's not it's not really actually random right i mean you try to put your finger on random there's no such thing it's the everything is if you if you do not believe reality is magic then you have to believe in determinism uh, if you if there's a that's fundamental a, the word disconnect. Magic. What is, what, in what, other words, if there's something that is utterly inexplicable about reality, there's no way to explain it. It just pops like into existence, and it just is, and you just have to accept it by faith alone. And uh, then, if you do not accept that, you have to just accept that that reality does these things based on whoever some, somebody tells you that it does these things or whatever. Then you have to believe that things have causes and f and effects. That there are that there there is a chain of events. Basically, it has to do with the age of reason is how we started having this idea that you have to have reasons why things happen. They don't right. just happen. Uh, and I mean, we come to the bottom of things. Like for instance, at one point, it was semi-scientific to say that that things were spontaneous. Were, uh, flies spontaneously generated from meat. Right. Because what you could do is you could calculate the pounds of meat to the pounds of worms produced, and uh, and c calculate the number of flies that came out of it. And you could come, you could predict how many flies that come out of a specific piece of meat through all these calculations and make it seem like it's utterly scientific. But the point of the matter is you still haven't got below a certain level. You just believe that worms come from meat no mechanism they just do and that is a magical belief and we always have to have a magical belief at the bottom of our understanding in other words there's always a point at which we just say i don't freaking know but believing that i don't freaking know is the answer and that, that that is what reality is is our our i don't know spot that is magical thinking and that's what we we've down through time we keep having this well at the bottom level it's god did it or you know and anytime there's something that we we reach the bottom on then we only go there's forward from that market. place exactly we just insert magical thinking and it's a it's a necessity because if you don't want to keep going and going and going examining reality because reality is so far as we know right now is almost bottomless when it comes to trying to figure out exactly how it works. And well, it's we kind of like when I turn on our stove in the morning, it's like it, the gas just comes out of it. It, it just, just does. does. It just I, does. I don't know how. And the truth of the matter is, if you want to get anything done, you got to stop worrying about how it all works and right, just I, do I wouldn't it. get past breakfast if <laughs> yeah if you had to reassemble the stove and figure out exactly how gas works you know, <laughs> which we get then you have to figure out how energy works then you have to go to the very bottom of reality before you can move to take a step forward uh, so the truth of the matter is we all have to have magical beliefs but we have to realize they are magical beliefs and so it is a it is this 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 
thing that we put in. It's a holding space for I don't freaking know. But then many times we decide that our I don't know space, that bottom of reality, that's it. That's the bottom of reality. I don't need to think beyond that. And that's what we do with, for instance, with probability. The idea of probability. It is that, well, we just think that, that reality is probability at the bottom. But then when you think that through, it makes no damn sense at all. And you end up with, with conflicts, which was actually what uh, I was writing an article on today, which was the, uh, the um, there's this recent thing. Let's try to go ahead and just go on to that. Yeah, okay. sure. So we could, yeah, we're talking about quantum physics and uh, essentially you would file a lot of what, like string theory and multiverse and multi-dimension under magical thinking yes but it's based on mathematics that are useful is the thing right. so it's a mix that, yeah that's just a like that there. just like the um what's it called the the the, the idea that the spirit of the root right. you know uh the spirit of the fishing tree fishes for them there's kind of a little bit of truth in there and it's useful but it doesn't mean it actually is accurate an accurate reflection of reality that's a, so. an example of uh, use, uh, using an Occam's razor to, to detriment right the simpler explanation is the simpler the explanation is for is, is for, for simple yes right <laughs> well and also Ouch. it's for say also it's for times that you want to just move forward um so so okay so the article that I saw right. that is uh, that's that's popping up that's kind of new so, news so we did mention Schrodinger um, and how you know he essentially talked about a uh, foggy bank uh, picture versus foggy lens so essentially using or bringing up the idea of misapplied math right uh, thinking that the tool and what it represents are the same thing as was was basically pointed out by all of the greats in quantum mechanics even heisenberg uh, i've got a quote somewhere i'll have to use but uh that i don't i don't remember the exact quote but over and over they're trying to point out that what we uh what what we use to represent reality and rep and re reality itself are not the same thing they're two different things and so uh and which brings us to the our article headline that i was looking at that there's multiple hot headlines around this this uh, thought experiment, and what it, and one of the headlines was uh, a new uh, Schrodinger's cat experiment breaks reality. <laughs> now, what they're talking about is well, just just real quick, a side note on that 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 uh, I wish I could pull up the actual article to share its headline, but um, or and it, so you guys could read it for yourselves. But essentially, they were saying that uh, when you look out at space, things aren't as they are predicted, and so scientists are going to be tinkering with their formulas and tinkering with you know uh, the dark matter, dark energy until they get the exact right formula that fits what they're seeing. And that'll be like... And that'll be it. Right. We'll finally have it. All we got to do is... We don't need to go backwards. All we got to do is keep going forwards. We right. never need to rethink any of our, our basic uh, assumptions. Yeah, so uh, it was just this, you know, completely um, not having a theory that stands on its own and then predicts results correctly, but backwards engineering. Right. So... So, yes. Continuing to add more and more crap to, to hold up a failed theory. Um, so, the... Uh, the, so the the headline that I read that I read was breaks reality. Yes. Okay. Now, what they're talking about is an article in Nature that is referring to a paper. I'm not sure when the paper was published, unfortunately, but it's a, a recent article in Nature talking about a version of um, it's it's two two versions removed from from uh, Schrodinger's cat. So Schrodinger's cat. Which, uh, just as a refresh that we mentioned earlier, but in case that wasn't super clear he was mocking the idea of this mathematical representation of having it both alive and dead as a probability of both being equal 
being actual reality instead of just a mathematical representation. Right. So. And so he was trying to point out, this is absurd for you to think that that is reality. It's just in the math. But it's not, a, it's not a problem in the math because the math doesn't have to be perfectly aligned with reality, especially when we're dealing with something this complex. So um, uh, it's, it, it's, it's useful for us to have this, these additional ideas in our math to calculate probabilities when, when reality is too complex for us. And that's basically what we're dealing with in quantum mechanics is that the number of influences on the you know, position and momentum of a particle are too, um, they're, they're too dependent upon uh, a variety of conditions. to be able to ever just straight predict them because you, not, you can't account for the vast amount of information that would be required to predict them, just like we have problems with predicting the weather. We can predict the weather within a limit. We can predict it to a certain, you know, within a certain level of probability, but the weather is dependent on too many different, you know, too many different factors are coming to play in the, in the way that a storm unfolds. And so we use probability, and that probability is accurate within a certain range, become, but becomes more and more and more inaccurate as you start to expand that range. So, um, so this, this uh, article in Nature was um, about uh, a thought experiment that is uh, an extension of the Schrodinger cat um, thought experiment. So Schrodinger's cat is, is where it's like, okay, so if you put a, um, uh, a cat in a box and there's a, you know, when a particle has a 50% chance of, uh, of decaying and causing a shotgun blast to go off or, a, or some acid to be dropped on the cat or whatever, so then the cat, because it hasn't been observed, if we believe that the cat uh, being observed or, be, or, or the particle being observed um, it makes it in a, in this state, this mixed state of being both decayed and not decayed or, or in this, this, you know, spin up, spin down. There's a lot, a lot of different, there's various ways of saying it, but the, uh, the point is if it's in this 50% state, then if the particle can be in a 50% state, then it can be coupled with the state of the cat. The cat is then 50% dead and alive or, or a smooth transition between dead and alive. And, and so that, that is the absurdity of the Schrodinger's cat, you know, thought experiment that just because you haven't looked at the cat in the box doesn't mean, does that really mean you believe that the cat is in this 50% state of dead and alive? And it's absurd. Uh, and then that was extended by somebody called Wigner or Wigner, I think it's probably Wigner. Um, and it's called Wigner's Friend. And uh, in, in Wigner's friend, he basically points out, it's like, okay, well, if that's not good enough, l instead of having the, simply the cat in the box, let's have uh, an experimenter in the box. And let's put his whole, his, the experimenter and his particle, and he's observing the particle, or, or he's observing the cat even. It's like, so let's have him observe the cat and then put him in a box. And, 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 then, uh, and then if I haven't observed him, then how can he have observed the cat and the cat wouldn't he right. then be and so the whole point is like okay well now now that i've got him in the box and, and he's is, been that, is that meant to be a satire pointing i haven't read about it it seems like it is but i haven't right. I, I haven't you know read enough about it to be absolutely certain but right. I'm, I'm pretty damn certain <laughs> yeah. um so so that's what wigner's friend was about but then in, but then we continued forward historically and saying well that's just fine because quantum mechanics can 
can can deal with that and we don't need to worry about it because all we got to do is represent it with this with this equation and now this uh, the, uh, with the um, now Wigner's friend in the box is uh, he's in a superposition of states as well and uh, and that's and that's fine because well you know they're not necessarily in the same reality or you know there's all, all these different ways you can kind of use the prep, the propositions of quantum mechanics to to kind of get around it if you just believe mm -hmm. if you just believe hard enough um, and so now there's yet another version that instead of simply just having Wigner's friend right. now we have two sets of Wigner and his friend in the box okay. and the people in the box the boxes are communicating uh, with uh, they send specially prepared signals that have to do with flipping a coin and uh, and you know typical um, uh, quantum mechanical experiments that have to do with spin up and spin down and it's complex enough that they're able to uh, show that uh, quantum mechanics describing itself will come out with answers that they're that they are certain about which conf conflict mm -hmm. in other words they are certain that this is true and those certainties are completely in conflict with each other so the, uh, the, the now that's why okay so the the, the article reads right. this breaks reality it doesn't break reality it does break interpretation of quantum mechanics and so there's a difference once again which is so, it's so hard to get past people because for years there was a shut up and calculate uh, idea right. of physics where we were told it's all about the math. All you got to think about is the math. <laughs> Just do the math. The math is the no math is what computers do. Thinking is what humans do. And so you you can you can I don't care how great you are at calculating, memorizing, and regurgitating. If your brain is that of just a dead computer you are mentally handicapped. You have to be able to think like a human which uses a computer. And that thing that we value in humans' ability that goes beyond just the ability to quickly calculate and, and memorize and regurgitate information is a type of intellect that is necessary for dealing with these problems. So on that note, I actually want to point out how in the same issue they're talking about uh, right here, theoretical physics is pointless without experimental tests, uh, an opinion piece. Uh, which is, uh, of course, uh, quite ironic because, or prop appropriate, I don't know, uh, the fact that, um, for instance, uh, who did uh, hundreds uh, of experiments over, like, thousands of experiments over, like, 30 years? Tens uh, of uh, thousands. Jaden Miller. Tens um, of thousands of experiments uh, with different uh, different test subjects, different uh, loc at different locations with different devices, all of which he won a, a prize from the AAAS, uh, called the Newcomb Cleveland Prize for proving that there was an ether, and uh, he was a renowned scientist, and uh, and that's something that is kind of swept under the rug. But it was directly what blocked Einstein's um, Nobel for special relativity. Right. So so here we have essentially a resurrection of, of sort of that idea uh, that theoretical physics is pointless without experimental tests, and I fully wholeheartedly agree. And then, of course, so here, uh, which is what um, made me think of, of, of pulling this up, is what you're saying, where um, you know, just being a calculator isn't uh, useful, um, especially when it relates to um, physics and the fact that it has an impact on philosophy and vice versa. And so here we have physics needs philosophy and philosophy needs physics. And uh, I just think yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, kind of an no interesting way of, of tying that together. And, of course, we can read all these articles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so... Um, 
And we can go over some of them uh, specifically with patrons that seem the most interesting. Yeah. So so going back to this this basically double Wigner's friend uh, thought experiment, the, 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 the thing is they went to so much trouble in this paper that they showed exactly how it impacts each one of the different interpretations of quantum mechanics and how each one of them is inconsistent with certain presumptions that we have and use regularly in quantum mechanics. And, uh, and then they went to, to as far as to show that they could uh, create an experimental setup which would uh, mimic this, uh, this thought experiment. And, uh, and so that is something that has yet to be done, but they, they, what they can do is then look at the results at any given moment. And what they're gonna find uh, is, <laughs> I'll tell you what they're gonna find. They're gonna find that, that any idea that is magical doesn't work. Uh, they're gonna find that they're gonna have to go to what lots of people have been going to. And the funny thing is, you know, fluid versions of, you know, space-time, have been around for a very long period of time. All of these, you know, when I talk about ether physics, people think that that's something that was disproven, you know, over a hundred years ago, and it's not even remotely similar to that. It is, it is still present in in a wide variety of different physics concepts. I mean, uh, uh, even even Einstein was talking about how um, uh, Kelvin's ideas with uh, with with you know how he developed fluids and topology were you know some some of the greatest advancements of physics when he was speaking on Kelvin's birthday and the, you know the, the all of these things they're still they're still present and it's just what's what's screwing uh, screwing us up a lot is our interpretations what they mean and it's our interpretations that will decide the way we spend our money the way the, the direction that we look and the way that we attempt to extend our theories and it, it is you know when when we look out and we say okay there's all of this you know this dark matter instead of instead of believing that we just have to find this dark matter what if instead of just trying to find this dark matter we need to find that thing that is causing the same effect everywhere that is difficult to um, find. In other words, we're looking for dark matter. We think it's hard to find. It's the stuff that's really hard to. That's it's just it's subtle, right? subtle, and nearly undetectable, and, and and basically irrational. Yet we got rid of ether. Why did we get rid of ether again? Because Einstein said so, but then he took it back. But then, well, he didn't. Yeah, he did take it back in 1920. He talked about the. He talked about the ether. He was specifically talking about the. Uh, a medium for light. Yeah. Light well, propagation. no, no, he was not talking about specifically a medium for light uh, for light's propagation. He was instead talking about a gra uh, a gravitational average of the universe, which was which had been called other things. But the point is that he started to understand a preferred frame was absolutely necessary because constancy is an irrational concept that cannot work. Uh, and so it's it, there. There are these aspects of history and and interactions of between uh, you know people's egos and all of this this crap that gets that gets into our interpretation and and then people say well it's just the math no the math doesn't mean a freaking thing unless you're determining how you apply the math where you apply it when you apply it. What does it actually? What is it actually reflective of? All of these things have to be examined. A computer can just do math. A human is required to understand the way that we apply it, and if it actually matches reality or it matches you know, a fucking fantasy. So that is the, that's part of the problem you'll always have in any physics discussion is they'll just talk about the math like that's the only thing that matters. But we're not computers. We have a mind that is greater than just pure calculation. The calculations 
do work. That's accurate. That's not what the discussion is about. It's no longer about that. It's about how do we extend? How do we go further from here? We have lots of stuff that works. True. Is our understanding of what is happening actually accurate? No. We have magical understandings of what's happening. We don't have a mechanical deterministic idea of it. We have great tools that can predict within certain limits, but it is not it, it is not, we're missing information that we discarded a long time ago. And yeah, on that note, actually, we do have here on one hand a uh, requirement uh, for theoretical physics to go through experimental tests, uh, and, but on the other hand, they are trying to fit uh, Einstein theories uh, still to what they're observing, such as in number 12 here, Milky Way's black hole provides long sought test of Einstein's general relativity. So in other words, some things, uh, they, they um, do observe things that are actually there, but once again, the interpretations is what the question is. Yeah, well, it's just like with so quantum. It, the, an observation, decade, uh, observation decades in the making confirms predictions about how light behaves in an immense gravitational field. So, yeah. um, and, uh, but on the other hand, in the same article, we, uh, same issue, we also talk about number nine here, neutrinos on ice. Astronomers' long hunt for source of extragalactic ghost particles pays off. Uh, along with gravitational waves, the find adds more options for multi-messenger astronomy, which does not rely solely on light to gather data, whatever exactly that means. Uh, but speaking of neutrinos and gravitons, number 22 here is this gravity quantum, an ongoing search for the graviton. The proposed fundamental particle carrying gravitational force is a crucial step in physicists' long journey towards the theory of everything. So we have um, all of this searching and looking, but also observations that uh, seem to back up some of the older ideas, but then the older ideas are lacking in a variety of ways, start, which is why we... When you start we, looking at the experimental evidence, there's a vast evidence for, uh, for a fluid medium, a superfluid medium specifically for space, that in, in absolutely every corner of everywhere you look, it's there, the evidence is there. And each time that we have some magical belief uh, in other words, spooky action in the distance, right. etc. You can always trace it down to saying that there's nothing there. When you say there's nothing there, then you have to believe in magic. When you say there's something there, then suddenly you have a mechanism for which there is an explanation, and that makes sense completely in, in, in a in a completely me mechanical and intuitive sense. And and the the physics all work together. We no longer have these giant holes and so it's it, it's really it has to do with this cultural thing it has to do with uh, a uh, kind of a popularity thing and, and the old guard thing and it's this has come up over and over and over uh, in science where we, we you know you have to you kind of have to put a stake in the ground with your your set of beliefs and explore around it and that's that's a necessity in science just like you know we were talking about earlier you can't you know you can't just go and check to make sure that the stove works every time you want to cook right. a meal uh, the same thing is true in science we have to put a stake in the ground but then eventually once we start to have failures we have to decide when we back up and and take all the new information that we had look at it from a completely different perspective throw away all of our, our presumptions from before and redo it all and that's what people hate doing. They hate backing up. Right. And we, even the, the development of programs goes the, by the same fucking thing, where we, we build a program that was designed to do something in particular that we keep extending and extending and extending Happens it to Happens every it, time to, I upgrade the software. Exactly. The it becomes more and more freaking uh, unstable as we keep adding to it because we refuse to say, okay, this requires a complete rewrite from first principles because of the fact that it no longer really matches what we're attempting to do now. 
the same thing is true when, when you're exploring around a basic theory you have to stick right, with so do you explore or do you exploit the, the right. problem right so do you stick with the theory that you know you may have to plug up all these different holes but redoing everything is seems right. so, so it daunting. Is, it's, it is. It's, it is a huge daunting task. There's so many different things that have to be explored. But the thing about it is there are lots of tools that we've been using that are still available and have continued to advance. Like specifically, there's something called micropolar elasticity from uh, from the, uh, what is that, the, oh, not Cartan. Uh, what was it, the Cossarat brothers. And uh, this is used in material science, but it was originally developed Sorry, I'm just beating on things. Uh, <laughs> it was originally <laughs> developed as an ether theory, but it was it was rediscovered in like the '60s, I believe, uh, as a uh, as a, a very useful uh, set of math for uh, certain types of material interactions. And it comes and it comes from the the Cossarat brothers were developing uh, Kelvin's um, version of the ether, which he finalized just after, I think it was 1889, just after the 1887 problem of the Michelson-Morley experiment. So people didn't notice this one particular paper. The Cossarat brothers did. And uh, and what in, in that, you can actually extend back further to a fellow named McCullough. And, uh, and he actually, d d he created a type of elasticity that saved Maxwell's equations through Kelvin's uh, developments. What do you mean so, saved? Uh, in other words, it looked, uh, Maxwell's equations were starting to look magical and uh, nonsensical in a certain way by uh, by around the uh, 1880s, and it was problematic that they, that it didn't really, there were certain things that didn't seem to have mechanisms, or they're looking ad hoc, and, okay. but once you introduce uh, the rotational elasticity and then uh, from from McCullough and then you use Kelvin's model he, he actually created physical models of how rotational elasticity would work and it's really fascinating um, then once you start to use that uh, that it provides a mechanism instead of just ad hoc believing it's happening right. you instead have a mechanism by which these things that happen in Maxwell's equations can work and that's what Kelvin uh, hit upon and that's what then the Cossarat brothers developed but they were developing that back in 1909 which is already after special relativity right. so, so basically nobody paid attention to it but it turns out that their their theory uh, actually fits with um, with the physics of superfluids that we now have today, which is superfluids, of course, were a, a set of behaviors that had never been seen before, but were first kind of introduced in uh, in viscid fluid mechanics that Maxwell used to develop the electromagnetic equations that we still use today. So Maxwell was describing the ether as a superfluid. Superfluids didn't exist at the time, so it was a, just just a theoretical thing. Right. Now they do, now we do have superfluids and they behave in specific ways and we can use them as an analogy to understand the way that uh, that space would work and all of these things are completely tied together kind of in the underbrush you have to look in the the un, the underside of physics and where all the tools went what they were developed for how did we get the tools initially and what they're being used for today and there is a there is a very clear set of connections that show that these tools. Uh, are, are starting to converge and there are a variety of people. As a matter of fact, you go to like neo-classicalphysics.info, I think, um, it's something like that. We, is, there's a, uh, uh, a fellow there who I've, I've talked to that, the funny thing is he used the, the term neoclassical physics uh, completely independent of me 
and uh, to represent exactly the same thing, and that is the um, the use of uh, fluid dynamics and uh, or, or or in this case micropolar elasticity or various different ways of treating space time in a way that is um, that's based on fluid mechanics is the best way I can put it fluid mechanics to fluid dynamics so the um, it's yeah there it is neo dash classical dash classical dash physics dot info ah okay so uh, and and he's actually it turns out that he is the um, the the only guy who interpreted the Cosserat brothers. Uh, book in English, uh, but anyway, so so there are all these people who are developing things under the surface. Like at, for instance, at Cambridge, you have uh, Ross Anderson and Robert Brady, who are uh, who, who developed um, uh, I, an idea of particles based on De Broglie's initial um, um, formulations of how waves interact with each other to create rotations in a fluid. Now, their idea, of course, is the idea of r rotations in the fluid. Um, creating, or, or more specifically, I think they have something that's like uh, solitons. But I'm, I'm getting to, uh, I'm, I'm getting into too many different technical topics now. I should just say that basically there are guys at, at uh, MIT that are working on the the physics from a fluid perspective. There are people at Cambridge who are working on the physics from a from a, a fluid mechanical perspective, and they, all of these people are held back by the orthodoxy in physics. Uh, that we, which is just it's just a set of opinions that's it, all it is it has nothing to do with the with experimental results the math is still still ends up describing the same things so what we have is physics being held back by opinion instead of being held back by verifiable facts there's there it, it's it, that's all there is to it and then specifically like uh, one of the best uh, examples of this is the difference between Lorentz's ether theory when you use Poincaré's electromagnetism and Einstein's. We prefer Einstein and Minkowski over Lorentz and Poincaré, right. even though that they are, they are mathematically indistinguishable. We prefer one over the other based on uh, no experiments. There are no experiments that, um, that actually uh, cause them to be uh, differentiated. There is a type of experiment that would differentiate them called a one-way speed of light uh, test. Man, you can you can look that up if you like. But that has never been successfully accomplished because there is a problem in interpretation, and that is if you believe uh, that there that there is an ether uh, or that there is a requirement specifically that um, that waves have a medium or any of those things then uh, relativity has already been, uh, or specifically, you would, you would definitely prefer Lorentz ether theory because it, it would fit. But then if you believe in the relativity of simultaneity and all the, diff the extra dimensions and, uh, and all of that sort of stuff, then any proof, in other words, you can create physical proof via, via experiment, which you can then reinterpret that proof as oh well, that's just because there's different realities, uh, you know, and so any any experimental proof that would falsify relativity right. and make you prefer, like. you can just explain it away with more opinion stuff, 
And so that's why they say a one-way speed of light test has never been successfully uh, done, whereas, of course, it has in a, a million different ways. This, the Senyek, Senye, uh, I think it's Senyek, um, uh, effect itself is a, is a one-way speed of light test. There it's, and, and it's been proven in a variety of ways to, to show that, that light speed is, uh, is an, anisotropic. That, so, uh, so wait this, a minute. We were earlier talking about the Doppler effect uh, and redshifting. How is that explained? There is no explanation for it. There, in, in relativity, it, there is no mechanism. Okay, it's just, oh, well, it's because it's in, you cut across the realities in a certain way and, you know, you, uh, via the fourth dimension, and then it's going to be going at a different speed. And, you know, there's all, it, it's basically a bunch it, of hand wavy bullshit. When, people don't understand the. Okay, the, well, let's the talk about the doctor. Time constancy, yes, less, because <laughs> time constancy, the idea, I know. It sounds one way, but it means that time is actually not constant in, in, in the sense that right. if you're going... Well, light's constancy is what Right, like Yeah, if you're going the speed of light, or almost the speed of light, it'll be passing you by the speed of light. And no matter how fast you're going... No matter how fast or slow you are, light moves according to you. The universe is all according to you. Everything, everything's relative to you. That seems to be no, a common to theme me. in all <laughs> to this me. Not all of you, you imaginary people. Uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> there is there is a reason why we, that article that talks about philosophy informs science and science right. informs philosophy. Well, you know what the 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 if you if you track things back to uh, I I call 1905 the end of the age of reason because uh, that is the point at which we stopped requiring. Uh, reasons for things such as waves uh, that that is the point at which and then that, that's the point at which our philosophy started to deviate as well because of these scientific findings. And things yes, like that. exactly. So so okay so what were we talking about? We're talking about Doppler effect. So with the Doppler effect it's really easy because, to understand. Because if light is traveling uh, infinitely fast then how can there be well it's both infinitely fast and not infinitely fast in its own frame it's infinite in our frame it's exactly the, the, the speed of light no matter where how we're moving then of course this requires additional realities the fourth dimension etc um so the <laughs> so the doppler effect let's just talk about just the doppler effect in a mechanical wave and now we have to use the term mechanical wave now because we've decided light is this special thing that that cuts through reality uh, and cuts through multiple realities in its own special way and it's an aspect of reality and uh and all of these things that go along with the constancy of the speed of light that einstein actually abandoned um by 19 but we still believe we so still believe no he, he oh, abandoned it by, by 19 i think of some of the earliest quotes where he was talking about that it's that it doesn't work was uh I think the earliest quote I saw was 1911, but so it's uh, only but, about six years after publishing his yeah uh, uh, special relativity. No, oh, special relativity was 1905, and 1915 right. uh, was uh, general. Right. So he, by what year did he? I think it was by 1911 was the earliest quote I've seen. I've seen 1911, 1912, and then uh, like 1916, so 1917. Relativity. There's quotes all all along this time that he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, before and after general relativity, he's specifically talking about constancy not being valid. Um, but of course we still believe in constancy today because we're playing telephone right. uh, and because actually it's, it's Minkowski's fault. Minkowski made constancy be the way that we calculate things and what we believe about it because of the Minkowski convention. So why are they listening to Minkowski and not Einstein who's the 
because <laughs> because eventually Einstein uh, Einstein lost favor and we, while we still respect Einstein as this symbol uh, there's tons of quotes from Einstein talking about him being seen as a relic and they no longer listen to him about his own theories even his own theories he, they no longer listen to him so I wonder why there is such a preference for but yeah, as you were saying so Einstein is now this symbol it's this creature this thing that has nothing to do with the actual person of Einstein and then and, and so that's, or the scientist of Einstein right even. exactly that's what I'm saying it has nothing to do with the person or scientist of Einstein but is this this cultural belief icon thing that uh, you know it's, it's like name a, is invoked for it's theories, like a ghost yeah. yeah whose name is invoked for theories that aren't even his anymore right which is just weird yeah so yeah, once you start digging into history and start seeing all these these weirdnesses, you start to see the telephone effect and every little point at which it mutate, mutate, mutate. It's kind of it's it's kind of funny to watch, but uh, as you're like reading through all of it. But um, we're talking about the Doppler Doppler effect. Yes. Okay. So just the Doppler effect in what is the Doppler effect? Well, there's there's obviously uh, what's going on in the Doppler effect is easy to understand. So as something impacts like let's just say in, in the air and of course it happens in, in waves the, sound right. waves in the air yeah. right so when something impacts the air it pushes it and then what happens is that because there's because the th the things the particles are all squished together closer there's uh now that's a that's basically what is a wave there are things that are squished together and then because they are repulsive of each other that they then attempt to move to the area of least resistance, which happens to be not towards the thing that's squishing them, but away from the thing that's squishing forward, them. And so that, that wave of compression then moves forward because they don't react instantaneously. There's a, there's a slight delay. And so that means that as these, uh, this area of compression starts to go into the next area, it doesn't instantly move that, that, that overly compressed area. It has to instead because uh, it has only a certain speed it can wave at. Right, and uh, so what ends up happening yeah. is it goes back and forth between over-compressing and then under-compressing as it attempts to correct because there is a lag in the time, and it goes back and forth until it, until it reaches equilibrium again. So basically what waves are is an attempt for a substance to, to restore equilibrium after it has been disturbed. Mm -hmm. That's why things travel in waves, is because there is a time lag in restoring equilibrium, uh, and, and because there are forces against uh, each other. So whenever we look at uh, a wave that's being like it's my voice or I'm banging a pot, whatever, then what happens is it impacts the air and it moves the, moves the air. Well, if the air, if I'm moving away from the air as I bang on that pot, then what's going to happen? Let's think of it instead of as waves, which are kind of continuous, let's think of it as just like pulses. If I make a pulse and then move away from it and it's moving away from me, then it's going to, when I, when I make the next pulse, there's going to be a greater distance between the pulses than there would be if I were just banging on the pot. So like say I'm banging on this pot at a regular rate, then the pulses are going to be a physical distance between each other, right? right. They're going to be a physical distance. But if I'm moving away from the from a wave that's moving away from me, even though I'm banging at the same rate, the distance between those pulses will be larger. Yeah, because the distance they have to travel to the source that is hearing them. Right. So what this what so what occurs? I think that's in, that's integral too. Is that you have yeah. a, 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 re, a receptacle right. of sound and then the maker of sound. Right. And so the Doppler effect. 
And so, in the opposite direction, if I'm banging on that pot and I'm running towards the 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 thing that I you know that wave I just created, the wave can't uh, can't escape. It can't escape very quickly before I make the next bang into the into it. And so, there will be a shorter distance between this bang and the next, right? Right. So that's what uh, what why we there is a Doppler effect is because basically, as you're impacting the air, the wave can't escape or escapes too quickly from your perturbation of the material and because of how sound there waves work that changes the frequency of the sound and so you get right. the doppler effect which is whenever any car passes by you it sounds high pitched first approaching you and then low pitched as it passes you exactly aka the doppler effect right so the doppler effect has very natural obvious mechanical or way of working that of course cannot work because you can't talk about running away from or going towards a light if light is always traveling according to you right so therefore that wipes out any mechanism for it so, you, so instead you have to rely upon the idea that somehow well, we you've do, shifted realities we observe doppler effect with light though of course so and it works in exactly the same way exactly the same way so what gives <laughs> well we it's all based on a set of beliefs if you have to if you accept all these axioms coming from specifically Minkowski, which is all of these mis these misunderstandings, then you have to, then, and you continue only forward and you never travel backwards in, in your, your thought process and look at things and see if they actually work and make sense, then you have to come to certain conclusions. And those are the conclusions we've come to, which eventually end in magic. Why Minkowski of all the people? Minkowski was Einstein's mentor. So he couldn't really get, uh, uh, he couldn't, do much about it because he was he was also publicly ridiculed for there was a there was a this this public discourse between um uh abrams abraham i think it was abraham uh was the last name of the guy between abraham and einstein in like some uh some well-known magazine where abraham was tearing einstein a new one because einstein was already abandoning the constancy of light and then abraham was saying well if you abandon the constancy of light then you you can't uh then the whole theory of relativity falls apart uh, because they, it, it just doesn't work. And so there was kind of a pressure on him from there, and then there was a pressure on him because the students of Minkowski uh, were upset that he was not supporting Minkowski, even though Minkowski was his, uh, was Einstein's, you know, mentor, kind of. And so there was this, this kind of a social pressure for him to adopt the Minkowski uh, convention. And uh, even though he was still talking about the constancy of light not being valid, uh, in except in, in infinitesimally small places, basically, in other words, nowhere. <laughs> Not uh, instantly. Um, so the the uh, <laughs> I know it's it's just funny. Uh, so so it yeah. only works in places so tiny you cannot see them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, so tiny they do not exist. Um, the um, <laughs> so that's why Minkowski is that it, and Minkowski's convention basically makes you presume the constancy of light. You start from that axiom, you cannot represent a situation with the Minkowski convention in which light is not constant. It's already baked so into the So it's baked in that you have to have multiple realities uh, to cut across for the Minkowski convention. Once you start to draw a Minkowski diagram, for instance, the, the multiple realities are being cut across already because of the way the Minkowski Convention works. So therefore, it it codifies and requires uh, constancy uh, as a reality. 
And so therefore you have to be able to have this, you know, uh, you know, that's why you have to have the fourth dimension representing multiple realities that can conflict with each other for the Minkowski convention to work. But then you, what you can do, which is, the, so how is it that you can represent two different perspectives in which I'm faster. No, you're faster. Or no, no, I'm faster. And so, you know, the way this, where you're both saying you're right. each one of you is faster and you're both correct. Well, how you do that is because since you can have infinite possible representations of the configuration of reality, when you select from that set, you can select a perfect mirror. So in other words, you can select a, a set of circumstances. A ditto Pokemon. You can select a ditto Pokemon from the fourth dimension. Uh, <laughs> that's a quote. That's a quote. That's a quote for this video. You can select a ditto Pokemon from the fourth dimension. We'll uh, put that on a shirt. We should. Let's go. Let's go on a shirt. The so the so the point is, what you can do is look at a mirror. You can select the mirror, and that way it looks like the same reality because it is a mirror. Uh, in other words, you look like you're selecting the same reality, even though you're not selecting the same reality, because it is a perfect mirror, and that's why uh, special relativity can, uh, as we currently have it interpreted with the Minkowski convention, can represent these two conflicting things simultaneously. Uh, that's why you have the twins paradox. But the thing about the it is in the twins paradox, you eventually select. A reality that is not represented by the Minkowski convention and that is well okay so let's talk about the solution to the twins paradox that is commonly proffered whether they uh, some people used to pick the, the, that you had to have gravitational effects and some people said you don't need gravitational effects you can just do it with this neat little diagram of where it goes crossways and and this 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 geometrical little um, thing proves that it's okay um, but Let's settle that aside for just a second and just talk about what the final end result of solving the um, uh, twins paradox is. And that is, they say that the twin at home is the one who didn't travel, uh, okay, period. They just decide that based on their little diagram or, or gravitation and or acceleration a or a coin flip or... <laughs> Uh, but a lot of hand waving stuff, and uh, but let's let's look at that. So when they say he is the one that did not travel, uh, and so therefore he is the one who uh, aged more. If he aged more, that means from the perspective of the person who aged less, his aging happened faster. Okay, right. so normally the idea is they are both correct when they say you age slower no you age slower they're both correct and then when they when they solve the twins paradox they say well one of them actually did age slower and the other actually did age faster but they never say so one of them was wrong that entire time right. they never say that they, they, they do say but they infer it without recognizing that they've inferred it and that's what would be called picking a preferred frame right Right, exactly. They have chosen a preferred frame by saying that that this this one is older than that one because, of course, reality requires that one of them have aged. Once you bring them together, if anything is really happening, it's not just all in your head. Then one of them had to have aged faster than the other, mm -hmm. and so therefore, from the, once you they just say, okay, I'm done because one of them aged faster. But then the next thing you have to do is look at, okay, if one of them did actually age 
more than the other, then one of them is aging slower and one of them is aging faster. And the, the idea that it is true that they are both correct when they say the other is aging slower and they have this conflict, that is not true. It is right. not actually true at all. So, the, so that's one of the things where you don't have that problem with Lorentz ether theory, even though you're using the exact same thing with the aging, because that's one it. of them is aging slower and one of them is, is aging faster. But the problem... Based on ether movement. Right, exactly. Based on whichever one, we don't know which one, but the truth of the matter is since one of them is moving, it's likely the guy who's moving who's going to be moving faster than the ether because what's the likelihood that he just happened to take off in just the right direction at just the right speed to be moving with whatever the semi-stationary-esque frame of the ether is? It's very unlikely. So that's why Lorentz would uh, would be more on the side of, well, of course, then he would be the one who's slower because he's the one who's moving. So it's the, the, the... light is having to travel faster i mean uh not faster he's having to travel further through you know uh, this additional space to catch up and and do that upstream downstream thing so it's going to it's going to make them age slower and the entire time even though lorentz did not need to mathematically represent the opposite it is inferred in his understanding and his representations that one is slower than the other and that there is not just time dilation and length contraction, but also the perception of time contraction and length dilation. So that both of those, that in other words, if one of them is shorter than the other, then when that shorter guy looks back, he's not going to see another shorter guy. He's going to see a longer guy. That's what he's going to see when he is shortened. You can't have both of them looking at the other and thinking they're shortened, except through optical illusions. Mm-hmm. Now there are optical illusions and that is exactly what Lorenz was he that's what he was talking about is optical illusions. That's what he was describing with his math was an optical illusion. But it's more than an optical illusion, it's an actual it's both an optical illusion and stuff that's really happening in space. So there are both of these things which is what made it so difficult to understand and that's why we have all of these misunderstandings along the way. And and and, and that's why because Einstein was certain that Lorentz had it right and just went with whatever Lorentz was saying to develop his own part. That's where all the the confusion happens is because he was building on established science. Everybody was cool with Lorentz's version of uh, of ether theory. Like Everybody, that, it's like that. Oh, that makes sense. That does make the Michelson Morley experiment work. Right. Cool. That's great. We love that. And uh, and it was actually Larmor who came up with it first. But you made it better. Good job, Lorenz. But we still got to figure out this electromagnetism thing because right. your electron theory sucks, Lorenz. We'd love you, but your electron theory sucks. And and so that's where Poincaré was going, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll work on the electrodynamics. And Einstein said, well, I'm going like, to work on the electrodynamics. And Einstein won the race to publication because Poincaré's uh, corrections didn't get published when they should have. And mm. otherwise we would only be, uh, it, it would it, uh, special relativity would entirely be Lorentz and Poincaré and Einstein wouldn't even be part of it and we wouldn't even be part of history had it not been for that little error in publishing. That's really interesting. Yes it is. Uh, so the um, so, so the, I, I, don't, I really don't know where to go from here so let's oh, no, continue. That's, that's perfectly uh, in our two hour mark so um, talking about uh, space and physics that are in it uh, we're gonna go um, to our patron only show uh, now and talk about uh, deep within Mars, uh, how they found water, and that SETI scientists spotted 72 signals from alien galaxies. 
that are three billion light years away and all other um, space news, well, mainly just those two, <laughs> uh, we'll go into detail um, on that. So if you'd like to become a patron, uh, visit patreon.com slash Anna Cherry. And challenger mode is probably the best thing you want to do to get in on these after shows and uh, reap awesome rewards. So uh, appreciate it, um, everyone, for sticking out, uh, sticking out with us, sticking, <laughs> sticking, sticking it out, with us. <laughs> sticking it out. <laughs> I don't know. All the way to the end. <laughs> yes. That's how we like to do things. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, appreciate you uh, taking the ride and uh, maybe learning some new things um, and uh, for supporting the podcast just by listening. And of course, in the low bar, we have a link to our previous uh, last month's episode that, uh, you know, sort of uh, segued into this one um, through the, the physics uh, side of things. And check that out. Give that a listen. It is uh, available for everyone publicly on Patreon. Click that cherry stem tag, um, hashtag pound, whatever, um, and um, keep up with that to follow the Patreon. You don't have to support it uh, to reap the benefits of this podcast. And uh, definitely subscribe to the channel. We do these every first Sunday of every month, uh, unless something comes up, in which case we will do it some other Sunday of that month, but you get one a month every time. And I thank you for helping us with our Cherry Stem number 28, Katie, uh, quantum physics, <laughs> string theory, and uh, multiverses and space. So let's go talk about space with our patrons now, and we'll see you guys next month. Thanks again, and I'd like to thank my awesome co-host, Richard Raw. And, and I'd like to thank Kitty. Yes, thank you, Kitty. Galileo. Thank you, Katie, <laughs> for meowing and providing well, ambient sounds. <laughs> You're always such a, a great supporter in uh, in this stuff. As I start going along, you help me when I lose my place, man. You know, you were yeah, always a, a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Uh, so we're gonna go snuggle now, and <laughs> I will see you, patrons, in the after show. And thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>